friends. Thank you for tuning in to the weekly City Church San Francisco podcast. Throughout the fall of 2020 on this podcast, we'll be taking a look through the Bible at what happened to people when things fell apart in their worlds, sort of like what many of us are experiencing right now. We're calling this fall series When Things Fall Apart because, well, things feel like they're falling apart. So let's talk about it. We invite you to lean into these stories each week to embrace the intersections where these ancient stories collide with our current collective world and our own personal lives. As always, we thank you for being a part of City Church Online through this podcast. And we invite you to join us live each Sunday at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch. Thanks. The reading today is from Job chapter 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold to be refined. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Miners put an end to darkness and search out to the farthest bound, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. They open shafts in a valley away from human habitation. They're forgotten by travelers. They sway suspended remote from people. As for the earth, out of it comes bread but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires and its dust contains gold. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Mortals do not know the way to it and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold and silver cannot be weighed out as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The chrysolite of Ethiopia cannot compare with it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned out the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it He established it and searched it out, and he said to humankind, Truly, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. The Word of the Lord. Pray with me, please. God in heaven, meet us now. Meet us in this ancient poem, this ancient poem to wisdom and maybe help us find a bit more of that divine wisdom for our week ahead. But most of all, help us meet Jesus, the source of that wisdom in you. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, good morning again, City Church. You know, we're a few weeks or maybe five weeks now, I guess, into our sermon series for the fall, When Things Fall Apart, When Things Fall Apart which I think is such a needed series for the times that we're living in right now. And for me personally, it's been a comfort lately. It's been an actual comfort to realize 
all over again that the entire story of Scripture is itself a story of things falling apart and coming back together again and falling apart again and coming back together again. And that it's through that very cycle, through that cycle, falling apart, coming back together again, that God continually shows up and creates new life, sometimes in some really surprising ways. And so today we make a very brief visit into the story of Job. Now, Job is a very famous story about the kinds of conversations people have whenever they are confronted with unexplained suffering, and particularly when those who are perceived to be good or innocent suffer. It's a completely fascinating book that scholars wrestle with, and then they wrestle with it some more, trying to decipher the point, like trying to figure out what does it all really mean. But I'm going to blow the lid off that right now at the beginning and just give a little spoiler that the book of Job doesn't answer the question of why good people suffer. It just doesn't. It's a poem. And it's one of the greatest poems of all antiquity. And that's regarded by secular and religious scholars alike. It's an amazing ancient poem. And it's a wisdom book. Its purpose is to get us thinking and digging deeper into the world and deeper into our faith and to ask real questions, like hard questions that aren't easily answered. So Job is a very challenging book and it presents some complicated pictures of God. But what I think would be most helpful for us today as we look at it is to remember this, that scripture, and and these are the words of Rene Girard, that scripture is a text in travail. Scripture is a text in travail, meaning scripture is a collection of stories written over hundreds of years that are each laboring travail. They're they're laboring toward a more complete picture of who God is and who we really are. So in Job, you get one historical snapshot in the form, it shows up to us in the form of a wisdom parable and a poem, particularly this chapter, 28. But I need to give you just a brief synopsis of the book so we can set up this poem that we're looking at today. So here's my two-minute summary of the book of Job, and it's way oversimplified, but we'll just kind of do it real fast. God is in heaven in Job 1. God is in heaven, you know, where God hangs out and lives, and God gathers all the angels together. And God is bragging about this righteous, devout servant of his named Job. And he's like, have you seen this guy, my servant Job? He's righteous in all his ways. And then there's this interesting character called Satan. Satan. But it's not exactly the way we think of Satan. Because the whole idea of like the devil didn't really exist just yet in Jewish thought. So Satan here is the accuser. And that's what the word really means, literally. The Satan, the way it appears in in the Hebrew. The accuser. And this character is an angel of sorts. And it's kind of like a a heavenly prosecutor in the heavenly council. It's a very old image of of sort of the Godhead. And so what ensues is a pretty bizarre account where the accuser wants to show that Job is not truly righteous, that he's only righteous because he's wealthy and he's prosperous and because he hasn't really suffered very much. And the accuser convinces God to put Job to the test, to take away all his possessions and even to take away his kids. God agrees to the plan with the only limitation that the accuser cannot touch Job's physical body. 
And so then, in the next scene, in one single horrifying day through a series of calamities, Job loses everything that he owns, and he even loses all of his kids. But he doesn't curse God. In fact, he utters these very famous lines that should appear on the screen now. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So powerful words, but then the scene repeats itself. God again brags about how devout Job is, and the accuser shows up again and says, okay, look, I dare you to strike his flesh. Because then when you strike his flesh, you'll see what he's really made of. And God says, okay, you can strike him, but you cannot take his life. So then Job's afflicted with painful boils all over his body, and he's in complete agony. And for a long while, he refuses to complain at all, doesn't complain at all against God or against his condition, until a week or more goes by. And then one day he wakes up and he just can't stand the pain anymore. And in anguish, he doesn't directly curse God, but he curses the day he was born. He actually goes deeper than that. He curses the night he was conceived because he just wants it all to be erased. He's lamenting and crying out in frustration at just how unjust this suffering seems. Okay, then meanwhile... A group of Job's closest friends have traveled to see him because they've heard he's suffering and they want to help him. But when they hear his intense cries and his complaints against God, they grow very concerned and they decide that what Job really needs right now is to be rebuked and corrected. I mean, these are some great friends, right? That Job needs to figure out what he did wrong to offend God, figure that out and then repent so that maybe some of his agony can be taken away. Now here's the thing, they're trying to help him. And the truth is that they're, in their day and their time, they're applying some fairly orthodox Jewish thinking. Because there was a traditional stream of thought at the time that said your suffering is a result of your sin. And atoning for that is the only way to get God's favor again. So they're not way off base in what they're trying to say to him. They're trying to help. But Job insists, and this is the really the magic of this book. It's an amazing book. Job insists that he's done nothing wrong. He insists that there's no good reason for his extreme suffering. He insists that none of it makes any sense at all. And so a gigantic argument takes off between Job and his friends, and it goes on for 25 chapters, 25 chapters, all the way up to our section today. And then it's here in 28 where we find this poem. It's a break from the action. It's a poetic interlude, scholars will say, from this completely fruitless argument that's happening between Job and his friends. I mean, that argument was going nowhere and Job is suffering and he's longing for wisdom. He's longing for understanding. And we see that fundamental question of Job's appear two times in the poem today, two times. It goes like this, but where can wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Where can wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? It comes in verse 12 and then again in verse 20. 
Now, this is not just an academic question for Job. He is desperate for understanding. And maybe you can identify. Maybe there's times in your life where you have felt that way. I mean, where do you go? Where do you go when you're completely out of answers? What do you do when you've tried on every explanation and you've listened to everybody's advice and you keep coming up empty? What do you do when the loud voices in your life or your own inner critic keep telling you that the problems you're facing or the suffering you're enduring must be the result of some failure on your part? But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? That's the question we carry with us all the time, maybe especially right now in October 2020. I mean, how many times have you asked yourself that question this year? Where can wisdom be found? I mean, I feel like I ask it almost every day lately. Job's poem searches the world. This poem in chapter 28, it searches the world looking for wisdom, and it comes up short over and over again. He says true wisdom cannot be found. It can't be found in human ingenuity or in technology. That's in verse three. Can't be found in technology. Maybe that's an important word for us San Franciscans. Verse three, he says, this is the high technology of his day in mining. Miners put an end to darkness and search out to the farthest bound, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. They open shafts in a valley away from human habitation. And then he goes on to say that these miners, they find sapphires and they find gold, but they can't find wisdom. Job says that wisdom can't even be found in the depths of creation or in the depths of the natural cosmos itself. He says, the deep says, the deep is speaking here, personified, the deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not in me. I mean, here, the deep and the sea, they're symbols of the oldest and most original parts of the primordial creation. I mean, they're pointing all the way back to Genesis 1, but the source of wisdom is not even found there. And then Job looks even into the underworld, into the realm of the dead, where it says, Abaddon and death say, we have only heard a rumor of it with our ears. Only a rumor of this wisdom. So in very poetic fashion, Job is saying the source of this wisdom, of true wisdom, is even older, even deeper than any of these things. In fact, it resides only with God. And that's verse 23. God alone knows the way. God alone knows the way. But, I mean, how does that help us? God alone knows the way. I mean, it still feels like it's coming up empty to me. Because if true wisdom and true understanding are so far beyond us and so far beyond the natural world, if it's only with God, how is our life, like right here, supposed to have any meaning? I mean, how do we not descend into nihilism and despair if wisdom is that far away, if it's only with God? You know, one thing I appreciate, I really do appreciate about Job is that he is never satisfied with easy explanations. Job is never satisfied with easy explanations. It's an extremely honest book that acknowledges that things don't always add up. And I appreciate that. 
but I also find myself wanting a little more help or maybe a little more hope. And Job does give a little. He cracks that door open just a little bit to show us that God had us in mind. God had people in mind when God perfected divine wisdom and understanding. And Job goes back to the creation imagery where he says, when God gave to the, wor- to the wind its weight, when God gave to the wind its weight and apportioned out the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the thunderbolt, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to humankind, truly the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So what Job is introducing here, even if it's a little subtle, is that God had us in mind when God set up the forces of creation and God perfected wisdom itself and God has offered wisdom to humankind as a gift. Now we can see this even more clearly and I think maybe more encouragingly in a companion passage that I absolutely love from the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 8. And here wisdom appears in personified form as a woman, which is usually the way wisdom appears in ancient literature. And even in the Hebrew religious writings, wisdom appears as a woman and she appears as the architect and counselor with God in creation. It says, does not wisdom call? This is uh, from Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries out, The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker. That's architect language, like a master worker. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, always rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race delighting in the human race. And now my children, listen to me. Happy are those who keep my ways. So here's wisdom, a feminine aspect of God, active with God as the architect in creation and delighting in the human race and inviting us to keep her ways. And so the thing I want to emphasize today, if you don't really hear anything else, is this. The quest for wisdom is personal. It's personal and it's relational. Now, Proverbs says wisdom delights in us. And Job says that the way of wisdom can be found in the fear of the Lord, which can sound like a hard concept. But what it really means is just being in proper or right relationship with the divine. And we can get pretty close to what this fear means if we think of it as holy wonder 
of God's power and beauty and majesty that overwhelms us to such a degree that we give up any pretense of trying to figure God out with our logical minds. And we find that there is no other suitable response to the presence of this powerful, beautiful, and mysterious being, but to fall on our knees in surrender and adoration and contemplation. That is what it is to fear the Lord. C.S. Lewis called it coming into contact with the numinous, coming into contact with the numinous, this thing that is so far beyond your capacity. This is the fear of the Lord. It's entering into relationship with God in wonder and in contemplation. And it's the way of wisdom. And when we're on that path, we find that it really extends to all of life. John O'Donohue said that wisdom is the art, it's the art of living in rhythm with your soul, your life, and the divine. Wisdom is the art of living in rhythm with your soul, your life, and the divine. And one of my absolute favorite teachers, a progressive Catholic scholar, Ilia Delio, she says that the way of wisdom is only known in relationship and love. Wisdom is knowledge deepened by love. Wisdom is knowledge deepened by love. It is found in the experience of the sacred and the inner heart. It brings to light the depths of things in a way that both reveals and veils the divine mystery. It both reveals and veils the divine mystery because it's coming into contact with the numinous. Wisdom is not gathering information. It's not gathering information. It's forming a relationship. I mean, we don't need more information about God or life. And we aren't really all that great at using the information we have. But what's needed is to develop that art of living in rhythm with soul, life, and God. And you know, this God is showing up in every single moment. You don't have to go looking for this God. You know, one of my favorite quotes is by Paula Darcy, where she says, God comes to us disguised as our lives. God comes to us disguised as our lives. God is showing up in every present moment, every present moment, through every circumstance of our lives. God is always giving an invitation. Wisdom, as we heard, is always calling. But you know, right now, when most of us are under extreme daily pressure, stress, and even grief in having our lives upended in COVID and watching our nation struggle greatly for justice. Meeting God in each moment, being able to hear wisdom's call, to really be able to hear it and sense it, will probably mean intentionally slowing down and intentionally carving out the space to breathe and reflect and pray and meditate, we might need to be willing to be a little less productive for a while so that we can find this connection with God and to those around us who are struggling. Many of us have been in crisis mode for seven straight months or even longer. And we can become locked in our sympathetic nervous system in those moments, the flight, 
or fight mode, the mode of quick problem solving. But the thing is that it's hard. It's almost impossible to see God or to hear the call of wisdom in that mode. We have to find a different way. We have to find that rhythm of soul and life and the divine that John O'Donoghue talks about. And we have to find that love that wants to break into each moment, as Ilya Delio talks about. But maybe for you, your every present moment right now is painful. Maybe you're suffering and you're asking similar questions to Job and you're looking for answers and the voices around you are not helping. If that's you, a few things come to mind for you today. First, you know, Job insisted, he insisted that his friends were wrong when they argued that Job's suffering must be due to some sin or failure in his life. Job knew that wasn't true, and he didn't relent on holding his position. And in the end, God actually vindicated Job. And God tells Job, tells Job and Job's friends near the end of the story that the friends were indeed wrong for taking that approach with Job. So perhaps for you this morning, one step toward the path of wisdom might be hearing that God is giving you permission to turn off those voices, whether external or internal. They can come from the outside or they can come from your own soul or your mind. External, internal, these voices that keep telling you that you deserve the pain you feel. The first step for wisdom and union with God for you might be finally letting go of your own self-condemnation. But also, whatever the cause is of your current suffering, the truth is that our wounds themselves, our wounds themselves, can be transformed into a source of great wisdom. Your unique wounds, even your failures, can become a doorway through which you will grow in wisdom and a doorway through which you can bless the world. I'll say that again. Your unique wounds, even your failures, can become a doorway through which you will grow in wisdom and a doorway through which you can bless the world. But you know, for all of us, and maybe especially the next two weeks, it's a good time to be conscious of the voices we are allowing inside our lives and inside our minds, inside our souls, to limit the clamoring noise of news and polls and fruitless social media debates that go on and on and on like the fruitless argument in Job, not to withdraw from the world but to be more fully present here and attentive to what's really going on around us and attentive enough to hear wisdom's call. And finally, I absolutely love these Old Testament wisdom stories. I love them. But remember, they're all part of Scripture as a text in travail, a Bible that is laboring toward a more and more complete revelation of God. A story that's ultimately moving toward the Jesus who personifies the wisdom and mercy of God completely and perfectly. Jesus who offers himself as a living connection, an open and permanent channel to the living God. 
especially through the communion table that we're going to reflect on and participate in in a moment. So this week ahead, seek that Jesus. Amidst the noise, amidst the arguments, seek that Jesus who as the Christ holds everything together and as the word of God or sometimes called the divine logos is the perfect and complete expression of divine wisdom. Seek that Jesus this week. Let's pray. God, go with us this week. Calm the voices in our own hearts. Calm the voices external to us that distract us or discourage us from hearing wisdom's call. Help us to walk with Jesus and to hear his call in the week ahead. Amen.